Hello, and welcome to the second podcast of My Dog Will Eat My Face. So I'm just going to pick up from where I left off last week. I know that I summarized very briefly that I was in fact dying, and that I do have a heart condition that is the cause So I think it would be prudent of me to take a moment to describe for people what the heck is wrong with me anyway. What what is my street cred to say that I am quote-unquote disabled or worthy of, of hospice care? As you may recall, I was rather repulsed when I described that woman who was so hysterical over the thought of a needle or any other medical experience. To me, it's almost as if you haven't lived until you've experienced misery and pain in a hospital setting. (laughs) Of course, I don't really mean that, or do I? But uh, essentially, that comes from my background to where I, I grew up with a lot of medical issues from this congenital defect. Uh, Without that uh, pulmonary artery, they did do something phenomenal when I was a baby, when I was one year old. They actually did successfully implant a completely artificial stint. It was made of a sort of Kevlar material. It was not taken from anywhere else in the body. It was not grafted. That's the word I'm looking for. From anywhere else. Because I was such a small child, there was really no no chance of them being able to graft something large enough to replace uh, the pulmonary artery. So they were stuck with inventing something in the lab. And this was actually one of the first times medical science has, has done something like this. So it was making medical history. And uh, the other good news that uh, I'm happy to share is, is that that stint is actually still there. It has been there my entire life. It is now 41 years old. Uh, according to my last uh, test of it, it's all crusted over and gross and kind of nasty now. It's not delivering much blood but it is actually still delivering blood in my body, which is truly remarkable. It is truly remarkable. Uh, The problem with that, though, is I've got the right pulmonary artery, essentially, for a one-year-old, which is when this surgery took place. So I grew up with very limited blood flow and oxygen. What that meant was retarded growth of my lungs. I've got uh, almost non-existent lower lobes in both my lungs. I have almost nil uh, proliferation of oxygen to my right lung. I think only the top 10% uh, gets uh, oxidized based on the last uh, exam I went through. And so it's extremely limiting, needless to say. Growing up with that was in and out of the hospital. Uh, Recurrent pneumonia, very, very frequently I was uh, enduring physical 
ailments that were a byproduct of this of this condition uh, pneumonias heart conditions pains lots of things that that you can imagine as a child i i couldn't play sports pe was hell for me like i'm sure it was for most boys uh, but for me uh for other reasons i i had a i had a good reason to wimp out during pe <laughs> i wasn't just lazy uh but uh yeah growing up as as a kid it was it was quite rough uh it's actually been problematic even uh, up until my early adulthood uh, i spent uh some time uh, as a young adult uh, in the lovely People's Republic of China. I'm sure you've heard of it. I think they've been in the news lately. I might be wrong. They've been in the news, I think. But uh, I spent several months out there in, in Beijing and Shanghai each and was there for quite a long time. When on my last night in Shanghai, I was actually on a uh, boat cruise in the Wampo River with the American consul to Shanghai. And I started to experience some pretty harsh chest pain. I notified my friends, it's kind of off to the side that were with me that I'm having these chest pains. And they went and ratted on me, you know how it goes. They told the consul. And he decided that I should be taken off the boat and rushed by his doctors to the hospital to be looked at. So I was whisked away off the boat, away from all the Americans I knew, all the Chinese counterparts I knew. Remember, at this point, I'd been there for months and months. And so I had very good Chinese friends with me as well. And I was alone. I was whisked away to Shanghai University Hospital. Uh, with no contact at all with the outside world, my passport was taken, and I was essentially held against my will in this hospital. I was due to fly out the next day to the United States to return home, which, honestly, I wanted to be on that flight more than anything. But they refused to let me out uh, in the hospital. They kept telling me, no, no. You'll be fine. You stay with us. You stay with us, they kept repeating. And I was all alone. I had no phone, no communication, nothing. I didn't know what was going on, except for all I knew, I was being held against my will in a communist country. So I share this experience uh, in China as just an example of, of how much this congenital problem has, has been an issue in my life. It's not only a problem when I'm growing up. It's not just an issue when I'm trying to play sports or go on a hike. It, it was an issue to where I almost became a, a guest of the, a special guest of the People's Republic of China. Uh, in, in point of fact, I went to the hospital when I did get home. I did go to my doctor, actually. 
And uh, the pain in my chest was actually just a thoracic sprain from the heavy breathing that I was experiencing from my depressed lung function and the heavy pollution that we are experiencing in China. So, you know, when they give you those uh, air pollution warnings for people that are in sensitive groups and they say, stay indoors, that's an example of them really needing it. <laughs> because if you're out in pollution, if you're someone who is in a sensitive group, uh, it could really mess you up. So there, there's my personal advice to everyone. Uh, and in point of fact, also, I, I saved my identification card from Shanghai University Hospital. I still keep it in my wallet as a little memento of, of that ordeal in particular. So needless to say, I think with these examples, I've illustrated that this congenital defect of mine has, has made it pretty difficult for me in my life. Ranging from the expectant, that is, say, an ability to play sports or something like that, to the completely unexpectant, such as being held against my will in a Chinese hospital. I don't suppose that happens every day. Maybe it does. I don't know. But yes, it's certainly been quite a trial for me. And yet, through all that, through all those years, I, I did somehow persevere. I did manage. Uh, despite all the ailments, despite all the hospitalizations, despite all the risks and problems that I had to overcome, I did just that. I overcame them. I continued my life and uh, returned to work whenever I could. Uh, until only very recently when things grew much, much worse, as I've said. In fact, things have gotten so bad to where I have recently qualified in, in my home state for medical assistance in death. Now, I don't bring this up to cause an enormous debate over this topic, but in my state, it, it is legal. There is a, a right to die law to where if you are disabled and your life becomes unbearable, too painful, debilitating, whatever it may be, with, with some respect of hopelessness and disability, that you can apply for and possibly be approved for medical assistance in killing yourself. And lo and behold, I, I went ahead and I actually did apply for that. Now, medical assistance in death, I'm, I'm going to shorten it to MAID. So if I refer to maid, I'm not talking about Sally, my maid, you know, down the hallway, dusting the foyer. I'm talking about basically death medicine. So that is something that I've qualified for. And I actually qualified for this medication almost instantly. Uh, once my physical ailments were analyzed by the state and the medical record was presented by my doctors. It, it was approved essentially without weight. So the state, for whatever reason, felt that 
I was a good case. I was a good example for someone who would qualify for MAID. Now, just because I qualified for it, obviously does not mean that I've exercised it. I am not speaking to you from the grave, I assure you. I'm very much alive. Uh, so, even though that has been something that I've done, that is, I've applied for and been approved for it, I've obviously not felt yet that it is something worth exercising. And, and I've been asked before, how do you know when you get to the point to when you feel like you can't take anymore to where all hope is lost and to where you are at a position to where death is the best case scenario. And unfortunately, in my position, especially in recent years, I've had to really think about that long and hard. The only time I could foresee me taking made medication is if, say, I woke up in the morning, looked out my window, and saw a mushroom cloud or something. <laughs> I, I, would, I would say falling asleep and, and, and dying in my sleep sure beats dying of radiation poisoning, <laughs> for example. But barring anything that extreme, I can't fathom a condition still in which I'm willing to take that step and, and indulge in my made qualification. Boy, that sounds bad. It really sounds like I'm talking about a degree in cleaning crystal or something like that. But anyway... Uh, so, as bad as things have been, I have not uh, been to any point yet to where I'm hopeless. And I think that is extremely important. So, I have to consider what has pushed me along even beyond the point of both entering hospice and much further qualifying for MAID. And what is it that is still calling to me and wanting me to really cling to life and still enjoy it and live it as best as I can. And the short and obvious answer that I've been able to come up with is finding love and joy in those little things. And oh my God, I know it sounds like a Hallmark card, but uh when you have to find something to keep you going through this, uh, sadly, some Hallmark cards start making sense. <laughs> so, after you see a psychologist first to make sure you're not insane, um, <laughs> you then kind of realize, well, you know, this is what you have to 
adapt to live and to be able to still find meaning and, and hope and love and life. And for me, that has been some of the most mundane, asinine things you could possibly imagine. It has been things such as gaming, such as certain TV shows that I enjoy, very little things. I still enjoy great food. I, I, I am a foodie. I used to love going out to restaurants. I can't do that anymore because I'm tethered to an oxygen tank. And that's awful. But especially in today's COVID world, a lot of good restaurants do take out and they do deliver. So I definitely indulge in that. I enjoy good food. I got the weight gain to prove it. <laughs> uh, and there are some other larger, more prominent things in my life that I am very grateful for. And things that I can't imagine parting from. First among those is probably my dog. I am a dog owner. I'm a dog lover. Uh, I do have a puppy. He's no longer a puppy. He's actually 15. We're both grumpy old men at this point. But I've had him since he was only three or four months old. So I raised the guy. And he's a big part of keeping me going and giving me joy in life. So when they say, when medical professionals say, animals do magic for people's recovery, for people's mental health, they aren't lying. Uh, I know for sure my, my dog has done wonders for me. And I don't consider that a small thing. I'd say another big thing that I've actually I always enjoyed, it's probably become somewhat apparent, and I still enjoy it, and, and that's learning new things. I love learning as I go. I love learning pieces of information about all kinds of different topics. I have side hobbies and side interests ranging from aviation to architecture to Roman history, varying in degree of intensity perhaps, but nonetheless, points of joy and hobbies and things that I still love that have kept me going since entering hospice and even since qualifying for MAID. And it's those things that have really stopped me, I think, from punching my own ticket, so to speak, or otherwise giving up um, and moving forward as, as best as I can. It, it's going to go where it's going to go. And I don't know what may come of it. I don't know how painful it might be. I don't know how low it might go. But at the moment, it's not the lowest it could possibly be. 
And that's the bottom line. So, as I look back at my experience recently from entering hospice and beyond that qualifying for MAID and the way in which I have tried to cope, I can't help but see it as not dissimilar to another ordeal that I had dealt with several years ago. I referred to this briefly in my last podcast, but a while back I did spend approximately two months in a rehab facility for alcoholism. At the time I was married and I was threatened with divorce and was told that I need to go to rehab by my ex. So I acquiesced in an attempt to save my marriage. Obviously, since this is my ex, that didn't turn out too well. (laughs) But anyway, I made the attempt and I did go to that rehab facility for those two months. And you could say I did it for all the wrong reasons. That is, I did it for my marriage or I did it specifically for someone else. And I didn't do it for myself. But all that aside, and if you were to even take out all references to addiction or alcoholism or anything even related to that from that experience, I still would say that I came out of that learning a great deal deal about myself and how to cope with difficult situations. At the time, I would often tell myself, I just need to make it one more day to get closer to the end of this situation. I just had to overcome one more day to be one day closer to where I wanted to be. And at the time I often quoted to myself something by the Roman author Virgil, who I believe wrote this actually in the Aeneid, Aeneid, depending on how you say it. Wherein he says, all fortune can be mastered by endurance. And I truly embrace that and live by that. And I think I still do. And I think that's what's carrying me through these hard times and through these days. Again, all fortune can be mastered by endurance. Now, It might be a terrible mistake for me to have this as a personal mantra to get me through these days. Because at the end of hospice, there's no fortune. 
there's death. And that endurance and that perseverance was only pushing me one day closer to that thing that I did not want. So it could be entirely stupid for me to still use this mantra for myself. But at this point, I truly do not know any other way to cope and to handle my days as they progress. So, with that said, I'll close by saying another quote, but this one from my brilliant father of all people who might be more right than the Roman authors and the, and the whole lot of them where he would just tell me don't let them tear you down